Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. I'm your host, Brett Kane, and you are tuning into episode number two. So thank you so much for your awareness and sharing this space. It means a lot to me. Um, yeah, I'm not going to take up too much of your time today, but uh, before we get started, I just wanted to kind of give a note um, that a lot of things are happening in the world today, and uh, one of the themes that arises multiple times throughout this conversation is that of integration. Um, and this is something that I find to be a very important aspect of our human lives, um, especially as we're entering into fall and we're leaving the summer behind. We have an opportunity to create some space within our experience to really sit with and be present and mindful of the the lessons that we've learned from these past four months of heightened temperature and activity and movement and motion. And um, at this current part in the world stage, we have a lot of uncertainty. So as we move into this new season, uh, I'd just like to invite everybody to take a moment to really internalize what we've just went through collectively this summer and uh, some of the, the stressors that we're dealing with and to really take that sensation of momentum and to bring it into our hearts as we allow everything around us to die, but to keep that that forward momentum going and to remember that we are always in the practice and a change of seasons or a change of scenery is a healthy part of this because life is um, it's extra er, expansion and constriction. So just like the inhale and the exhale, um, we have an opportunity to go between both of the states as seamlessly as possible and to learn about the middle by the extremes. So I just wanted to leave that with you guys. I think it's a, something good to take forward um, as the leaves change. Um, but today's guest is a very wonderful human being by the name of Samantha Mee. She operates out of East Michigan, um, and she's an Ayurvedic counselor as well as a massage practitioner who also specializes in sound therapy, and she does ecstatic dance communities and hosts ceremony and does reflexology and Reiki, and she has just such a wide portfolio to be able to help so many people from so many different backgrounds that I I had to have her on the show. I mean, she hits a lot of the marks that I think are very important in moving forward. Plus, her connection to flow state is very pronounced, and you can hear that in the way that she articulates her beliefs. And um, I've been soaking up her content for probably two years now and have been moved by a lot of the things that she said and been inspired. So I, I'd like to invite you into this conversation um, to maintain an open heart and to really give your time and energy to hearing her her story and what she has to offer because I think it could really benefit a lot of people. She uh, is definitely in tune and connected and channeling some very profound medicines. So Thank you so much again for listening. Thank you for the support and um, sharing some of this excitement that I'm feeling. I uh, learned a lot by doing this episode. As I said, this is episode two. So um, I'm really excited to just continue expanding and being able to provide you with ever-increasing, awesome, amazing guests who have just wonderful things to share. Um, 
It means a lot that you're sharing this space with me, so I don't want you to think that I take it for granted. I am putting a lot of work into this show, and I'm really uh, fulfilled by doing it, so um, let's be fulfilled together. Um, so without further ado, I don't want to take up too much time before we get into the conversation because it gets pretty cerebral, and it's it's a really good talk. I'm, I'm really excited that I was able to capture this and to be able to share it with everybody because I think there's just so many nuggets of wisdom in here and um, I wish nothing but the best for her and her uh, platform. So without further ado, please open your hearts and your minds to Samantha Mee. Samantha, welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. It's a pleasure to meet you. I've soaked up your content for maybe two years now. Just wanted to apologize formally for dropping the ball with Sacred Vibrations. You're supposed to be on that workshop lineup, and I didn't know what I was doing, so that just kind of fell through. But it seems like everything's working out for you, so welcome. Thank you. I actually don't really have memory of that, so... Oh, good. We're all good. <laughs> Nothing to apologize for then. Cool. <laughs> so before we get started with your repertoire of skills that you have to offer, I noticed from your uh, social media posts that you've been doing some traveling. Looks like you've been kind of all over the place. So I'm just curious. Let's start off and uh, go over that. Yeah, I took my dog across the country. We went for six weeks on a road trip um, to... I think 11 different states to camp and just spend some time in solitude, deep in nature. So we camped through Iowa and Nebraska, Colorado, Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, Washington, Oregon, California, and Nevada. <laughs> That's absolutely incredible. Yeah. What made you want to do that alone? I mean, with your puppers, but fundamentally still kind of alone. I have traveled alone in the past. I spent six weeks in India backpacking around the country by myself. And I just kind of like to be able to flow in accordance to how I feel. And I was also really inspired at like a super young age by the movie Into the Wild for whatever reason. I think it's my like Aquarius kind of like free spirit, almost like independent nature to um, yeah, I want to just be able to kind of have that like liberation and freedom to be able to go wherever I want to go and choose what I want to do in each particular moment, dependent on how I feel. Um, and also during this time, uh, there seems to be a lot of noise in the world, you know, with everything from COVID to some of the um, Black Lives Matter protests happening. A lot of people are speaking up. And with that comes also a lot of stimulation. And so I took this as an opportunity to just kind of get into nature, spend some time alone with myself to really weed through all that noise to come back to my own stream of consciousness and to get clarity on like what it is that I'm actually thinking and feeling and feeling called to do 
in service and in light of like everything that's going on because there's so many different narratives and opinions and stuff that is circulating right now so I wanted to kind of just weed through all that (laughs) it seems like a lot of people are kind of caught in a chain of reactivity that's actually obscuring them from being able to think clearly and be present within their own field so kudos to you for being able to acknowledge that and actually do the hard work of stepping away or stepping in more or less I almost feel like unless you're operating from that place of stillness that you can only provide yourself, you're not going to be able to actually hear the cries of the world, you know? So you have to have that inner space for things to actually have room to express through you, take stepping away. So congratulations. What was a big takeaway that you had, if there was any? I mean, that's just so much time by yourself, you know? That's just an incredible space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, nature is just so magnificent. <laughs> it's so beautiful. The earth is amazing, truly. And it's all there for us to appreciate and enjoy already. I mean, there's really nothing we have to do um, besides get out into it in order to receive like all the benefits that this earth, I feel, has to offer us. And so... I was reminded of the importance to keep that balance between the doing and the being. Um, in our culture, there seems to be an overemphasis on the doing, and it can sometimes feel overwhelming and create some sense of tension when we try to settle and relax because there's almost this belief that we're not being productive and our worth is placed on our productivity. So if we're not productive, then, you know, what is our value and what is our worth and being out in nature where really there is nothing to do besides cook myself food every day. That was like the only obligation I truly had and maybe to like meditate and move my body. Um, I was just reminded of how there's so much beauty and magnificence and opportunity for gratitude and fulfillment in each and every moment. And again, we don't have to really do anything to receive that. It's just already there, both within and outside of ourselves. So that felt pretty profound to be able to have that experience and re-remember kind of the perfection of who we already are in each present moment and to be more present with ourselves and our surroundings to be able to really experience that the fullness and the richness of of each present moment instead of kind of chasing after like the next thing um And I think also the support and healing that comes from nature. I mean, I, there were times when I had not showered and like, I mean, I got into a body of water every day, but by like definition had not taken like a proper shower and maybe in like two or three weeks. And yet like I felt like I was at my highest self, you know, my, my hair was so full, my skin was like so nice. And I just felt so strong and grounded within my body. And I do feel like that's a reflection of 
the healing and the support and the importance of being in nature that um, we don't receive being more domesticated and disconnected from the natural world, spending most of our time in, inside or in cars all day long. And so kind of just watching my body even like on a physical level, just flourish from being in that, that environment. Wow. That's incredible. Actually. Would you say you had an integration period after you got back to the place that you live? Like, was there any kind of settling back into being into the domesticated space? Like, what did you do to hold on to that sensation of freedom within yourself? I'm sure you have many practices that you have. Yeah, I, I feel like the hardest part, I almost had a sense of grief. Like I was, as I was leaving nature, you know, like I was grieving this loss that I think we all have, this disconnection that we all have from, from her, from nature. And I really felt that. And I make it a point to get outside. I still take my dog. We, we upped our walks now from one to two a day. Um, and also, I felt very rejuvenated and inspired. Um, being in nature is really beneficial for us. It helps us to reset our biorhythm. So I w- I've been on such a good sleep schedule since I've been back because when I'm out in the woods and I'm alone, as soon as it gets dark, you know, I kind of have this notion of like, yeah, there's nothing for me to do anymore. Like I'm going to go to bed, you know? So just being more in tune with those natural cycles of nature has allowed me to take those habits and practices and then to also like feel the benefit of going to bed with the sun and then waking up early with the sun and having a fuller day where I'm more energized and I have a greater capacity to get the things done that I want to do and still have time to rest and so I felt very inspired and I and I still do and I really keep those practices sacred and I've been very protective over keeping that same sleep schedule and getting out into nature very very sacred because it feels so essential now to who I am having that experience contrasting to being more in the modern world and the society with things like artificial light and um, artificial air and you know all these things that are detrimental over time, having that loss of connection to the earth. So there was an integration period for sure. And um, also I felt inspired and just supported by that time to, to find new ways to creatively like keep those practices and habits to make it work for where, for where I'm at today. And then it inspired me to kind of upgrade some of my dreams and visions for long-term future goals that I have to uh, be able to keep more of that lifestyle of being further out in nature and stuff like that. Wow. That's really cool. I almost feel like with the integration, some of the most important aspects of having a practice or going through an experience is that moment when your daily functioning kind of starts coming back online. You can kind of watch brick by brick the house of who you tell yourself you are kind of builds itself in front of you. I'm finding so far that it's not about maintaining the heightened experience, but it's about watching exactly who you are come back online so you have a better idea of how to navigate yourself. 
you know, I find that a lot of people, this was me when I first started getting into plant medicines and stuff, I'd have this really profound experience and see myself in this really expanded way. And I'm like, whoa, never going back to how I was. Awesome. Then the next day, I started to have the same routine thoughts. So it took me a while to kind of alleviate that, you know, it was kind of a downer. But now I really value that experience because it shows me exactly where I'm at. If you don't fight it, they can actually be a part of the entire thing. And, you know, it's just as important as the peak experience because it's who you are and it's where you're at. Mm. So what exactly was your doorway into this world that you're living in? Because you have so many offerings. You're obviously very dedicated to helping people. I would say becoming embodied or coming home to themselves. I mean, I know you're a Michigander as well as I am. And there's not a whole lot of community that has this talk starting to, but I'm just curious if you're open to sharing, what was your path that led you to where you are now offering the gifts that you have? Mm-hmm. Um, I had a pretty big wake up call experience when I was 19, I was dating and living with somebody who, um, really suffered from depression and drug abuse and addiction. And one day we had an argument over his choice of drug use and I left and came back the next day and found him dead in our house, which was a great shock to my system. Um, I never experienced anything like that before and really lacked any tools on how to like integrate and navigate through that experience. So my parents being, you know, loving and supportive pushed me to do things like go to therapy. And I think a lot of these common paths that people would seek out in the Western world, while I was there, they prescribed me to things like Valium and Prozac. And for like two months, I just kind of felt numb. I was just like blacked out almost. I I actually don't really remember a lot, I think because of the Valium. And of course, I was still like drinking and smoking weed and self-medicating in other ways, which kind of just like exuberates the, the effects of those substances. And I think I just like hit a point where I didn't like not feeling anything. Like I was still afraid of feeling all the trauma and the grief and, you know, all the feelings that that came with that experience. And yet I I didn't want to be numb because it was my understanding that those those medications like didn't let you feel the lows, but they also didn't let you feel the highs. It was like a baseline. And also with my therapist in psychology, I kind of had this experience where, you know, I, there's their way of um, labeling me as like being like an anxious and depressed person just felt limiting. It was almost like, okay, this is who you are. So now this is what you do for your life. And there's a part of me that was just like, no, like that can't be true. And also, there was a part of me that at the time, I didn't have really any like religious or spiritual faith or background. And it was just kind of like going insane with this idea of like, okay, this person is gone from their physical body, but now like, where did they go? And there was like this 
this feeling that I didn't really want to accept that like they were just getting farther and farther, just like drifting away. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. That just doesn't feel good to me. So I started to watch a lot of documentaries on like the afterlife and death and all this stuff, which kind of brought me more into a more spiritual perspective of like energy and how everything's all connected. And then there was a moment where my dad asked me like, what do you need? And I was just kind of like, I need yoga and a massage. And before that, and I don't really know why I said those things quite honestly, but I did. (laughs) And before that, I had only done yoga as a teenager at a studio. I feel like that focuses more primarily on like the physical aspect of the practice because I wanted to like be fit and like look good. And so he had gone on to Groupon and just happened upon another studio in the area that has a much deeper spiritual aspect to the practice. And the first class that I took there was like a restorative candlelight yoga class. And it was just in that moment, an opportunity for me to feel a deep sense of peace from within, you know, without using anything externally. And I remember kind of being like, I don't really know what this is all about, but I want more of this. So I actually signed up to work the desk then at that studio. I just wanted to be in that energy in that space. And then eventually I um, sought out the teacher training, essentially just to kind of like deepen my own knowledge and experience in the practice, because again, it just felt so good. And I was having these positive experiences. And I think also being again, like an aquarium, um, I don't like to be dependent on anything or anyone. So it was cool to find these practices where like I could take responsibility over myself. Like I could do these things and show up for myself. I wasn't relying on someone else to come and to fix this thing or tell me what to do or tell me what I needed or to take something externally. It was all from within and that felt really profound. And then it all just kind of happened in divine order after that. My yoga training then led me to my Ayurvedic training that I took, the yoga or the owner of the yoga studio, the Ayurvedic training that I found was one of her teachers. So it just like ended up all being connected. And then I started having dreams of playing the gong. And then I started doing that. And and a few years after, I was still around a lot of people that were moving in and out of addiction. And so, of course, you know, like I feel very called to this type of work and just seeing like the lack of tools and resources that they were given at these rehab centers and facilities when they were trying to improve their life and their health and um, get away from these substances. It was like they were going into these centers and then like taking the time to detox and then just leaving and they were being thrown back out of the world with really little to nothing to really like support them and resolving all the things that they were trying to suppress by using the addiction, by using those substances through their addiction. So I just felt really um, motivated from my own experience of resolving some of that trauma and that PTSD and my own like, um, substance abuse and depression and all that stuff to help provide others who were suffering with the same similar tools and resources. So I kind of then, through my own experience of all the things that I do, 
had that desire to learn them to formulate this like toolkit to give people as well because I found that different people resonate with different things and we're all unique and require something unique at different moments in our lives and also it's not really one thing you know it's not like I just meditate every day and my life's perfect like I'm also mindful of how I eat and creating a healthy routine and developing deep intimate relationships and getting outside like it's all these things you know and so I wanted to make sure that I had like a well-rounded more like holistic toolkit to work from in supporting other people as well almost really parallel to the approach that I'm taking with my foundation being body work, like massage therapy, because what I find, and I'm still toying with this idea, um, I don't know if it's fully what it is, but it seems like the more tools you have, it's not as much about the tool, but it being a means to channel who you are and your nervous system, which allows people different ways to interact with you. And there's this idea that we mirror neurons when we're interacting with someone. Our brain lights up in different specific ways based on their energetic state. So we mirror it and synchronize with each other. And we can have community by doing that. We're biologically tuned to tune to each other. So the way that I look at a lot of things is that I want my offerings to be as accessible as possible. So I want to fill the toolkit with as many things so anybody from all walks of life, from the average layman to the person practicing yoga, is equipped and to be able to plug into my nervous system and to hold space for them. And I kind of get a strong vibe that that's what you're doing. And I honestly feel like we're on the forefront of expanded bodily awareness. Um, and the real place that we get to do that work is trauma-informed work. Because that's biology that's been disconnected at certain levels. It's not all in synchrony. So when we find a way to heal trauma on an individual level, I feel that we can heal trauma on a societal level. But it always has to start from within. And the more people we can synchronize with, the more expanded the idea of who we are becomes. And I think that you're right. When people get rehabilitated, what often ends up happening is that the metaphor that I like to use is that someone's drowning in stormy waters. And with the current Western paradigm, we lift them out, bring them on the boat, dry them off, pat them on the shoulder, and then throw them right back into the waters Mm. where it's like they're really in the same thing. So, you know, we're really good at symptom management, but we're not good at what it means to understand what being a wholly embodied human is. So I really think that the domain that this is in is in the alternative, using air quotes, because it has to deal with your subjective experience. It's not a one-size-fits-all. So I was looking at all the things you have to offer, and I was like, check, check, check. You're definitely tapping into that pocket. You're reaching out and you're fanning... um, out for so many people and because you have such a good self-care and self-practice that's actually the thing that's being communicated so Mm. kudos to you for being one of the trailblazers because you know you're definitely well we're both young human beings and we have so much to grow into but i feel like that foundation that you built seems really sturdy and just judging from the content that you put out seems like you have a pretty wide reach already so like awesome congratulations Mm -hmm. thank you So I do know that you have an Ayurvedic fall cleanse coming up pretty shortly here. I personally don't have a lot of experience with Ayurveda. I tried to get into it, but it just wasn't what I needed at the time. I see the benefit, but it just um, wasn't what I needed at that time. So what exactly is Ayurveda? Could you help the listeners just kind of understand what that is and maybe how that's benefited you on your journey? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's completely revolutionized the way that I look at the body and the natural world around me and everything outside of myself and the way that it influences my state of happiness and health and well-being and also just like our capacity I, I feel at any moment to really be able to regain balance and like our like the responsibility we have over ourselves and to be able to look at our health in a more like long-term preventative based way than like you said just treating our health in like a more symptomatic um, diagnostic approach so Ayurveda is the sister science to yoga. Um, these two sciences were formed together and created and were designed to be practiced alongside one another. They were never meant to be separated. So this was created in ancient in India alongside the practice of yoga. And so Ayurveda is the science of life. The word Ayurveda translates to science of life or knowledge of longevity. And it is essentially everything we do off the mat through diet, through different lifestyle practices, um, daily routines, habits to bring ourselves into a state of balance so that we can practice yoga. And then yoga is then the practice for us to connect to our higher source and power. So if you're using yoga to reduce stress or to lose weight or to build muscle, whatever it might be, you're really then practicing Ayurveda. Um, I love Ayurveda and its approach to this concept of health and balance because it recognizes that we are all unique. There can't be any like umbrella or blanket statement when it comes to health and wellness. And I think that's why we see so many of these like fads and diets and trends come and go. They don't really stick because they don't work for everyone because they're not meant to work. And also we're always growing and evolving individually and collectively. And so, you know, we can't, it can't always be one thing all the time. Like Ayurveda gives us the opportunity to understand ourselves on a more individual level to deepen and rely then upon our own mind-body connection to be able to tune into our body at any given moment to understand these subtle cues and symptoms that our body is constantly providing us with and from there to then be able to recognize what we need in order to either regain or maintain balance. It's a more prevention-based system for health. So whereas in the West, we usually wait until we're sick to go seek medical attention. In Ayurveda, there's about six stages of disease and and dis disease just meaning dis-ease or imbalance within the body. And we can start to cue into these really early signs of imbalance like stress, for example, or fatigue or dry skin or acne, like things in the Western culture that are almost more like uh, normalized and accepted. Like everyone's stressed and people are just like, oh yeah, like it's uncomfortable, but I'm stressed. You know, it's like, well, that's actually an indication that something's out of alignment for you. Our natural state is to be at peace and to, you know, feel energized and feel vitalized and really fulfilled in our lifetime. So if you're experiencing anything other than that on like a regular basis, there's something that's out of balance. And so 
we then take a more preventative based approach through our diet and lifestyle and daily practices to prevent imbalances from happening, kind of taking almost like a more offensive approach to health instead of like defensive of just like fighting the thing when it, when it comes up and surfaces. And, um, and then being able to tune into, there's this understanding in Ayurveda that everything outside of ourself is comprised of the five elements. We have space, air, fire, water, and earth. And those five elements also reside within us. So by observing the elements outside of ourself, we can then understand how they show up and govern different systems and organs within our body. And from that, we can then understand then how everything outside of ourselves, everything in our environment, everything that we do, that we eat, that we participate in, the people we surround ourselves with, activities, has a certain quality, has a subtle energetic quality to that. And when we can tune into and understand and recognize that, then we can understand how everything in our world impacts us and either takes us closer to a state of balance or farther away from it. And so it's really just such a powerful practice and knowledge and has completely changed my perspective again over health, our capacity to heal, our capacity to have this domain and a sense of like sovereignty within our health and our being and also just like the world around ourselves. It's um, it's also an adaptable science, meaning it it's always changing and a growing and with that it even though it originated about like five, six thousand years ago in ancient India across the world, it's able to still be relevant. And so I think that says something that, again, like there's so many fads and trends that come and go, but this this has really withstood the test of time, right? Like there's things that we know today, even as modern science is growing and evolving and coming to new understandings and findings, like we know, like we're always going to there's always going to be birth and there's going to be death. Like those are constants. Those are givens. And so Ayurveda, I feel like has been able to tap into similar truths that we have. And that really gives us a strong, solid foundation of which to build our life upon because it does grow and evolve with us. And because we're learning it by observing nature and we're not separate from nature we're derived from that we then already inherently have all of this wisdom inside of ourselves right it's just kind of tapping into that in which we already know and then through the practice of ayurveda being able to understand what is happening and what is being revealed to us mm. yeah one of the takeaways that I'm getting from what you said is that I'm really glad that you emphasize what we're talking about is actually a science, both yoga and Ayurveda. I wouldn't say it's like a science in the traditional Western lens, but it's a science in that it's been meticulously cultivated over thousands of years with trial and error and um, firsthand experience. And one of the ways that I've always said it is that the West has done a really good job at mapping the external world, like we could split an atom at this point. And while we've been developing that skill set, the East has developed an internal science. So for as well as we understand like how weather works and physics, the East knows how to cultivate the mind and body. So what we're looking at now is, um, now that we're in this interesting spot in history, is that we need to bring these two worlds together. So I'm thinking that saying that this is a science and that it's been something that's been distilled through generations of experience. It's like firsthand research. And I think that recontextualizing it in a way that makes it accessible is really important. And I think you're doing a good job at using the words that you're using. Like it's important that we find maps and models that allow us to dive deep into our own biology 
And I like the word, the fact that you use the word sovereignty because it is claiming sovereignty for your being. And uh, the current Western paradigm is to ignore the body until something bad happens. And in that case, you go to the professionals, which, again, they're good at symptom alleviation, but understanding your unique constitution of wellness and power, they don't really know much about it. The only person that does is you because you're the ones experiencing the sensations that you're going through. So having a map or model to overlay onto your experience will allow you to get deeper into almost every element of your life. From the food you eat to the places you're in, the relations you have. Um, right now I'm actually studying uh, Qigong, which is the Chinese energy medicine, which I would say is kind of parallel to the Ayurveda system, but probably does achieve some of the same goals using just a different map. Do you know anything about the Qigong system? Um, I don't, but I have read that Ayurveda has kind of influenced a lot of these other practices, including Chinese medicine and herbology and even part of our Western practices as well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Ayurveda did come first. I think it's uh, 2,000 or 5,000 years old. I don't remember, but it's been a long-standing practice. So how do you include that in massage? I saw that that was one of your offerings, and it kind of confused me because I know massage, but I'm not really sure what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Well, Ayurvedic massage is a little different than like a Swedish or deep tissue, just first and foremost with um, the usage of longer strokes because the primary goal of an Ayurvedic massage is to work the medicated oil into the tissue. The Sanskrit word for oil translates to love. So it's really an act of love to give our skin this oil and our skin is the largest digestive organ on the body. So it's a really wonderful way to receive some of these medicinal properties of the oil. So we're using longer warming strokes to work the oil rather than kind of like kneading deep into a muscle. And because the oil is so closely related to the molecular structure of the cellular membrane, the cellular wall on our cells, it's easily absorbed and passed through all seven layers of the tissue all the way down to the bone marrow. So we can directly influence or kind of indirectly influence the muscles and the tissues and the plasma and the bone marrow, even by working the oil in through the top layer of the tissue, which is the skin. And so what I do is I, um, kind of do a little evaluation with all of my clients to understand their unique mind-body type before picking an oil and formulating a blend that will help either alleviate specific symptoms or imbalances that they're pre presently experiencing, or that will just support balance within their body based on, again, their unique mind-body type, and then use that oil in the practice. And I was also taught um, marma massage and reflexology so i kind of use those together all together in the practice you know when i feel intuitively called or guided to work with some of those pressure points as well so what is the process of finding somebody's unique mind body balance um i think they're called the doshas mm -hmm. yeah like what is that as a ayurvedic practitioner or teacher or 
counselor, mm-hmm. I guess that would be the role. But um, yeah, what is that process like? How do you help your clients come to their own understanding of what this is? Mm-hmm. It feels like investigative work. <laughs> and then it's almost like solving a mystery. So by asking a lot of questions, you know, long-term habits, um, will help us understand their constitution that we were given at birth, which is called prakruti, and also by observing their body shape, so like the facial shape, the eye color, the hair color, the bone size, the build of the body, these things don't generally change, you know, throughout time. So this helps to give us an idea of who they were at birth. And then by asking daily um, habits and symptoms and things that, you know, change more like throughout the day, like emotional states, mental states will help us understand where they're at presently, which is called our vikruti. So there's two types of constitutions we have. Um, to then be able to formulate a regimen because we want our vikruti, which is our present state, to match our prakruti, which is like our unique ratio of what we were given when we were born of, of these elements, which is, is the dosha. And um, we also do things like look at the tongue, check the pulse, talk about diet, sleep patterns, stressors, um, different preferences, work habits, really just trying to dissect and understand it all, which I think is a little different, again, in our Western approach to medicine, because we've almost become too specialized. We fail to address all layers of the body and like everything and take that into account when assessing someone's health. You know, it's either like you go to the psychologist and they talk about your mental and emotional state maybe, or then you go to your physician and they take into account your physical state. And so really bringing all of that together because in Ayurveda, in order to have health, we have to have balance on all those layers because they're also interconnected. So really just asking like all the questions that we can, because like you so perfectly said, I mean, especially if I'm meeting someone for the first time, they know themselves better than I do. So for me to be able to come in and give some form of recommendation and guidance, like, you know, we really have to have like a lot of information and uh, a good understanding of who they are. So it usually takes me about an hour and a half just talking for the first evaluation, just to try to like follow those little, you know, clues that they're leaving me to come to an understanding of what their unique mind-body type then might be and then where they're at and what imbalance they might be having to formulate a protocol for them. It almost seems like your role is kind of that of a mirror. Um, That first session being really powerful in itself, like even if they don't continue, you're able to highlight them things that they need to be mindful of by asking those specific questions you know like they could be like i never considered my sleep patterns you know so you're illuminating to them the areas that they may be strong or weak at and i almost feel like that in itself is really powerful a lot of people don't have the tools to address or see where they are so wow, even just with that that that's just really interesting to me um so from there what you end up doing is utilizing your wealth of knowledge on the Ayurvedic herbs and oils and then you kind of 
treat what you're able to diagnose using your knowledge through the massage is kind of what I'm getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with this fall cleanse coming up, what exactly does that entail and how does that fall into the regimen that you would normally offer? Mm-hmm. The fall cleanse is a program. It's a three-week program and it's a three-part cleanse. We have a pre-cleanse phase, a deep cleanse phase, and a post-cleanse phase. Each one we're in for about a week. Um, and we follow the traditional Ayurvedic cleansing process by taking a mono diet during the deep cleanse, so the middle part, of a dish called kitri, which is the traditional dish we cleanse with in Ayurveda, which is composed of mung dal beans and basmati rice and some spices and ghee. And then sometimes, you know, you can add in vegetables if you want. And the idea of this is it's ultimately giving us an opportunity to simplify the diet so that our body doesn't have to spend all this extra energy on having to break down complex meals to then turn inward and start to digest and process a lot of toxins that might have been built up within the body, unprocessed, undigested food, but not only that, undigested, unprocessed motion, emotions and past experiences. And so there's a lot of different daily practices that I provide that is conducive and supportive to this to this process as well so that as people are releasing and experiencing the release of these things they have ways to integrate and move through that and what I found to be really cool with this practice is I've noticed with some of their cleanses and detoxes people will do like a six-day juice cleanse and then afterward they'll almost there's almost like a um I'm trying to think of the word, like when you have like a rubber band, you know, and it like snaps back. Um, I get what you're trying to say. Yeah, where where then they just like almost go and start eating like the worst foods again or whatever, because what happens is, I mean, and I just want to preface this by saying like, again, we're all different, right? So for some people that does work and it's sustainable. For most people though, what I found is what's happening when we either do like extreme fasting or we don't take time, which we talked about right at the start of all of this, to prepare ourselves and then have time to integrate at the end. Um, while we're cleansing, sometimes what can happen is we're ultimately putting our body in like a state of stress sometimes. And when we're not giving it the same nutrients that it was given before, it's almost like then sending these signals to the body of like, well, the next time I eat, I have to eat all the things because I don't know when I'm not going to receive food again. It's just this like primal instinct that we have. So I think that's why then people then like overeat after their cleanse. If they don't have time to integrate and they don't know how to properly rebuild the digestion and bring whole and more complex ingredients back into their diet. And so I really love this practice because the the dish of kitchery has with the basmati rice among dal beans enough amino acids to form a complex protein in it. So we're actually able to maintain blood sugar levels by not putting stress on the body. So we don't feel that same sense of depletion 
even during the deep cleanse phase. And we're taking time in the beginning to ease ourselves into it and then time at the end to ease ourselves out, to transition out, which is actually the most important part of the process. So again, you don't just snap right back to all those unhealthy patterns or habits that you might have been engaging in before. I kind of like to use this analogy and I actually do this often, like maybe it, maybe it's not with your whole room, but I do this with like my bedroom all the time. And maybe it's a cupboard in your house, you know, like there's times throughout the year where I'll do a deep cleaning. I'll take everything out of the room, like everything. And then I'll clean out the whole room. So it's kind of like the pre-cleanse phase where we take all the stuff out. And then in the deep cleanse phase, we get in there and then we do the deep cleaning and we clean the space. And then during the post-cleanse phase, as I'm bringing stuff back into my room, into my space, I'm really looking at each item. And, you know, you take time and you're like, is this a value to me anymore? Does this still work for me? Is this beneficial for me to hang on to or hold on to? Or should I maybe seek out something new or different or let this go? And so we have an opportunity then when we take that time transitioning out of the cleanse, bringing food back in to really then look at like the things that we're eating and having that almost like baseline to go off of like, how does this thing impact my body? Because when we're eating so many things all throughout the day, it's sometimes difficult to discern like, what is that thing that set you off? But when we're slowly integrating one thing back in at a time, we can see that that effect that it has on the body to be able to recognize and understand like, okay, maybe I shouldn't be taking so much of this thing or, or maybe my body does really feel so nourished and so energized and satiated after I, I have this. So I, I can take more of this and favor these types of foods and ingredients. So I really just love the whole flow and process of this practice. And, um, it just feels like, even though it's still so profound, it feels like a more gentle and compassionate way to like detox. It's kind of cool how within this conversation, we're seeing this theme of integration huh. come up on multiple times. And I think it's something that should really be highlighted in our society. I was thinking about how when people get uh, a tummy tuck, I think that's what they call it, when they remove a bunch of excess adipose tissue or fat from their body, they feel great for a little bit and then immediately dive right back into the diet that got them into the unhealthy state. Mm. Whereas if there was, well, it's not even the focus of the medical procedure. They want to do the process and then push you out the door. Yeah. I was thinking of having like a retraining of the behaviors and it's just such a crucial thing, but it takes a lot of work and um, people really don't want to put in the work for what we're talking about. It takes a lot of effort um, to fully embody to where you are. And I think that you are providing that extra step with that post-cleanse reintegration. I think that that's just extremely valuable for all of life and training. And that goes way beyond what you're actually even offering. And um, I think that that's really powerful that you include that. Mm-hmm. So when does this start? It starts the first session that we'll meet is October 5th from 6 to 7 Eastern Standard Time and that's a Monday and then we'll meet the following two Mondays I believe the 12th and the 19th at the same time you guys just do a zoom meeting for that or mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then all the zoom meetings are recorded the lectures are sent out and there's workbooks with all the information and notes and sample grocery lists and recipes and then um I create a Facebook community group for everyone in this cleanse, you know, so we can like 
talk about our experience during it and everyone has access to me so if something comes up that people have challenges or questions about like I'm there for support as well and it's just kind of fun because this is something that I would just always do by myself you know but to have like a group of people to do it together and then as I'm witnessing people having these profound experiences it like reminds me always the power and potential of this practice it's like oh yeah this is this is why we're doing the work you know plus you have someone to share the intense pizza cravings with i'm sure yeah (laughs) yeah cool so um honestly the main thing that i was attracted to in your portfolio and the original reason that we ended up getting introduced a few years ago was sound healing this is uh something that i actually wanted to incorporate my own practice so i was just wondering is this still something that you're actively pursuing or Hmm. I do. I do. Um, with everything being shut down, I was doing like weekly or monthly, uh, gong meditations, I call them, um, with everything shut down, it's more like private sound healing sessions. I've been doing work with a lot of couples, which has been fun or like small groups, you know, something like that. So what does that procedure look like for those who haven't actually experienced that? Mm-hmm. So I work with a gong. I have a 32-inch symphonic gong, um, which plays a wide range of frequencies. The symphonic just basically means that there's other types that are tuned to one specific frequency. And I'm essentially using this instrument as a tool to bring my clients and students into a state of relaxation or meditation. So the gong is attuned to a specific frequency that helps to slow down the brain and the mind and calm and relax the body to get us into that deeper brain state or meditative state to take our body from this place of like active use our mind and nervous system especially of being like so on and active and having to constantly process external stimuli to then turn inward to start to process and digest and resolve things internally so it's kind of taken us from the state of like fight or flight or being so on to rest and repair. And what I love about using the gong to get us there is it's really easy, especially for people who don't have like a meditative practice. Cause I tell people all you have to do is show up and listen. Like the hardest part sometimes is just getting there. And the sound of the gong is one of the only sounds um, in the world that can completely like supersede the human mind. So what I've learned from it is that it's different than other types of instruments or music that kind of follow a more like rhythmic or beat pattern. And because there's no pattern or rhythm to it, our brain actually then can't really track and follow the sound. It can't anticipate what's next. So, or what's coming. So it's then forced to just like let go of any judgment or control over it and really just like surrender into that deeper state. And it's also kind of like getting a vibrational massage. I love the size of my gong because it really provides and produces that like deep resonance that you can feel physically moving through your body. When I was exposed to it for the first time, I felt it so much in my mind because I I did have a lot of mental tension at that time. And it felt like a brain massage, which is like a difficult place to massage into because we have a skull around our head, you know? So it's like we can kind of bypass the physical body by using these sound and energetic currents to move into the deeper layers of the body. 
I really love your explanation of this. Um, I talked to a few people about sound and a lot of people get really into like the heady science aspect of it, which is really abstract. And I feel like that approach kind of turns away a lot of people. Um, I told some folks that I was getting into sound therapy or sorry, I said sound healing and they were immediately like, you can't do that. You can't heal with sound. But it was more the terminology. I feel like if they understood it in the way that you were saying it, like you you do have a physical sensation. For me, it's it's like a resonance in my chest that connects me to the external world in a way that not many other things can do. And I feel like a lot of music that we listen to reinforces our emotional state, which means that we're creating like a feedback loop. Like if you're sad, then you listen to sad music and it makes you more sad. If you're upbeat, you listen to music that makes you more upbeat. But this has a similar effect on the body but it takes you away from yourself it's like this alien sensation so you like resonate with a tone that is transpersonal and it allows you a bridge into these more expanded states of awareness i feel like this is probably going to be a lot more popular as time goes on it really feels like we're just starting to see the fall the full broad uses of it and it's incredible that you have this as a part of your offering Hopefully one of these days I can share space with you and experience it again myself. It's been a few years. I think it was Electric Forest Mm -hmm. where they had one of those uh, gong domes that you sit in the middle of and they just blast you into space. (laughs) It's really hard to argue with it when you're in that place, you know. Um, I could have had a conversation with someone and they're telling me, you can't heal with sound. But if they're sitting in front of one of those giant gongs going dong, then you can't really argue with that space that it brings you to. It is relaxing and it's um, your entire body is rela- reacting to it. So maybe some of the headier science stuff, like the more cerebral trippy tones that bring you out into certain states, very well might have some stuff to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're definitely not going to be able to experience it when you're sitting on the sidelines saying that you can't ex- can't do it. Yeah. Well, there is like a lot of science to it, especially as we start to dive deeper into things like meta and quantum physics that start to like highlight this understanding that everything truly is energy and frequency. I mean, Nikola Tesla talked about this all the time and Einstein who are like really ahead of their time. I think we're speaking these profound truths that people weren't ready to receive and as we start to open our mind up to things that exist beyond our senses or what we can perceive through our senses that are there like energy and frequency we can understand that everything is ultimately comprised of that and that by producing different tones and frequencies and sounds we can influence those or we can influence different energetic systems that exist within us. And um, I think it was uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza who talked about how basically like every disease is just chaos at the molecular structure. So if we think about within our cell, you know, we have like the atom, which consists of the nuclei and around that are the electrons or the protons. And then around there are the electrons, you know, spinning and within each atom is predominantly space and there's just that energy and that frequency that um, produces the movement of those things and so when something starts to vibrate at a different frequency or a different energetic uh, tone it then causes the surrounding atoms to also go out of harmony and it creates that discoherence then within the surrounding systems that 
then start to form the cells within our body and then the organs and systems and structures become compromised as well. So I like to use the analogy of almost like our organs or even down to that same like anatomic level is almost like an orchestra, right? And if you have all these different instruments in harmony, it sounds beautiful and works well. If one of them is out of if there's some discoherence and one of them is out of tune or out of rhythm or sync with the others, you know, then maybe the person next to them is going to sync up with that person and now they're both out of tune. And then maybe the person next to them is going to sync up to that. And then it's just throwing the whole thing off and there's chaos and it sounds horrible. So it's kind of a similar event that we have within our body when we're, you know, in a state of stress or imbalance and then we're exposed to these tunes that are designed at a specific frequency to reestablish that sense of coherence and harmony within our whole body down to the smallest structure of our being, which I found is like really profound because it's literally getting down into the framework of who we are and rewiring and creating that and rebuilding from there from the inside out. Wow, that's beautiful. Have you ever considered combining sound with the massage offering? Is that something that you'd work with? Uh, yeah, I, I do combine a lot of my body work sessions together. I love pairing them together, uh, particularly the acupuncture with the sound healing. Um, and then I'll sometimes have events or workshops where, you know, I'm playing the gong and people are going around offering things like Reiki or light massage or Thai massage. I've done a lot of that or teaching a yoga class or something like that. It just gets a little complicated because I have to be behind the gong playing, um, if I were to then also give the massage, you know, to be able to be in two places at once, but sometimes we'll do them back to back or, just by knowledge of sound and healing and, you know, the effects that it has on the body, I've acquired a plethora of different, like, tracks, and I have a really good quality sound system. Uh, so I'll set those up for for my clients so they're still in the space, and I'm maybe not producing it, but they can still receive those same benefits while I'm doing work on another layer for them. Yeah, one of my ideas as I got my license was to create, like, a wellness expose. Mm. where we link up with a bunch of other therapists and people who have wonderful things to offer and have like a four or five hour thing where everyone offers up their skills and we form a community around it. And one of the offerings was to have a bunch of multiple gongs and singing bowls while six people are getting massaged to create this like, I don't know, I just want to blast people into space. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever condition to have an out-of-body experience would be a really cool offering, you know? And it's something that's really palpable and I think would get people to start engaging with their body in a completely different way like terence mckenna the um psychonaut Mm -hmm. he was talking about how psychedelics are the thing that are going to save the world because it gets us out of our thinking discursive mind and for the longest time i was thinking heck yeah that sounds about right but now as i'm getting older and i'm starting to see that that headway is moving really slow a lot of people are really turned off by the idea of it so i'm wondering what some of the other tools are that can help us achieve some of these similar states that we can kind of put a wrench in the cogs of the Western mind that we're all so addicted to. So, yeah, I think it is such a crucial thing. We're already using a lot of these principles. It's just sometimes in an egocentric or ego-reinforcing way, which has its place in the process of people's unraveling into who they are. 
Um, and I'm still very prone to it every now and again. I'll put on some music that's like, oh, I'm super sad today. Yeah, let's be sad. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. And sometimes it can be really beneficial, but I think that the more things that help us get out of our minds rather than reinforce them is going to be really what's for the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that you bring up um, psychedelics because it does seem to almost be like the first thing that people get into when, yeah, when before they're kind of like exposed to some of these deeper like tools and practices and um I actually started an event called Altered States and it's essentially a party but it's a sober event and I uh, my partner my business partner and I we take people through different experiences through aesthetic dance and yoga and human connection and a cacao ceremony and then sound healing to show and give people the experience that we can alter our state of conscious being without the use of a substance that might have, you know, a lengthy side effect or um, something outside of ourselves. It it can happen from within. So the gong, like you're saying, was definitely one of my first experiences of that. That just was like so trippy to me, you know, like having like you describe it as like almost out of body, like existential experience without the use of like any psychoactive drug whatsoever yeah i think something really beneficial that event sounds amazing i think is uh, something that really adds to that is that you have to exert effort which creates a little bit of momentum in your experience and with a lot of people usually younger folks who are graduating high school who are experimenting with these plant medicines they don't really understand that you can actually exist in a state that is similar but more workable but you have to be able to build the momentum to do it so there's that process of integration where you're kind of graduating from that space not that people shouldn't continue having their practice with those medicines but there kind of comes a point where it's like i want more from my life and i want more of this element because i feel responsible in cultivating that within my community Mm -hmm. but that all comes from building that momentum So the more containers we build and the more tools we have to offer and the more community that we're creating gets us to really similar states. And I'm honestly really glad you mentioned cacao. I recently had an experience with it where I was like, I drank cacao a bunch. I know what this is about. And I went to a ceremony and within 30 minutes, I had tears running down my face Mm. and I was like, what's happening to me? And yeah, I I made a bunch of friends with it, uh, the people that were there. And yeah, sometimes, you know, it's hard to make friends when you're on a plant medicine. So I think it seems a lot more workable and maybe a little more responsible appearing to the world at large. Yeah, I think the words I like to use are like sustainable. Yeah, it's uh, when I think about using things like plant medicine, it's almost like, you know, we're just getting a glimpse we're like opening ourselves up and getting like a taste or a touch or like a vision. And then when we're off of it, you know, we come back and it does impact us and have an effect, of course. Um, so it's like kind of like peeking into the house or kind of like you said, you know, it's like going to a movie and watching a movie screen and having like being affected by the movie, but then leaving the theater and going back home to your life after, you know, and just continuing to do what you were doing. Like you're still affected by what you saw but you're not really bringing that back with you whereas some of these practices i i like how you um you know talked about the importance of like having to really show up and put energy and effort into it and might 
be a little bit more on the front end, but it does create a more long-term sustainable experience that we're able to truly have and, and integrate, you know, it's more integrative. And so that's just kind of how I've always like viewed the difference between taking something like a psychedelic and then doing maybe breath work or yoga or dancing or connecting to people. There's so many different ways that we can obtain and acquire these different states uh, without the use of psychedelics or plant medicine or something. Yeah. Are you familiar with uh, Ramdas? Mm-hmm. I liked his saying that psychedelics were kind of like taking an elevator to heaven. And you get to see what's going on up there, but as soon as you get there, you have to drop right back down. And so much of his career was taking the elevator up and down until he realized that, oh, there is a staircase there. Mm. Um, It does take work, but what's reassuring is that the more momentum you build, the easier it is to maintain those states. And the lighter the work becomes, you know, there, there is a front end where you have to unpack a lot of things. But once you unpack those things, then it's like you feel the benefit. And it becomes like a self-maintaining thing. Like, I don't think of the work that I do. I just do it. Mm -hmm. Where some people don't even have an idea of what the work is. So, you know, my hat goes off to all the beautiful plant teachers we have. And I really want to normalize the talk of that on this show, as we should in every, maybe not every conversation, uh, job interviews, we maybe shouldn't talk about that. (laughs) But I mean, I've definitely taken more than my fair share of plant medicine. So, yeah, I'm not... I think like you've, like you've said as like a disclaimer, I'm not putting those things down and aside. Um, they do, they are so beneficial and so healing in their own way. And I think it just really comes down to who's using it, why they're using it, when they're using it, how much they're using, you know, taking really all that into consideration, creating some sort of ritual ritual to honor that that medicine and that plan and that experience and then time to integrate it. And um, yeah. Yeah, I honestly think that a lot of the times plant medicine immediately draws up visions of being in Peru and doing ayahuasca or eating mushrooms or mescaline or something of that nature. But also plant medicine is what we talked about earlier with cacao, it's tobacco, it's cannabis. Honestly, the food you eat is plant medicine. You eat some iceberg lettuce, you know, it's not the most potent, but it helps. And there's so many gifts that nature is giving us to use to flesh out very specific parts of ourselves. Um, like I've had some really beautiful experiences. Have you have you heard of hape? Mm-hmm. that uh, nasal tobacco snuff that like really brings you into a beautiful space that is so useful and so workable especially for the western mind which is so busy all the time it just stops everything in a really powerful way so like everything is a drug and when you break down the walls of what you consider a drug with air quotes in a western sense you start to see that we're always in communion with these spirits of these individual plants and each of them have something really powerful to offer us like kava is just so amazing. I love kava. Yeah. Drinking a lot of yerba mate. I have taken that recently. Yeah. I'll get the uh, Guayugi brand cans, and yeah, it's just one of my daily rituals. Might be the one thing that I'm kind of like I need to slow down a little bit. <laughs> so I do notice that we're after an hour, but there is one more thing I wanted to bring up, and it might last a minute or two, but I think it's really important, and I think you've done a really good job at being a champion of this. 
um, which is, is this post that I shared from you a couple weeks ago about the divine masculine showing up in relation to the feminine. And I think right now in our current uh, socio-political climate, we've done a lot of work on fleshing out what being the divine feminine is. And this is really what's surging through, especially this year. Um, I feel like even COVID has kind of a feminine aspect to it in the way that it's manifesting and putting us in the womb of our own homes. So I feel like now the pendulum is always swinging between the masculine and feminine and the way that it manifests in our society. And we've been so focused on toxic masculinity now that we're seeing it swing to the other side. And what my hope is that we come to an understanding of what the middle looks like. So I'm just curious, uh, what does healthy masculinity look like to you? Also femininity, if that comes up, I just feel like we're having an easier time in understanding what the divine feminine is. But um, a lot of these conversations really push away masculinity and throw it to the curb because it has hurt us in a lot of ways. So I'm just wondering, uh, in your view, how do we bring these forces in a balance for people who don't have that, um, women included, since um, you know we all have these forces within us. It's not just uh, in relationship, but it's like our psychology. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just to reiterate, we all have both masculine and feminine energy, regardless of if we're embodied as a male or female or identify as a male or female or both. And we have the capacity to evoke either one of them, maybe depending on what we're doing or how we're feeling or what situation we're in. And so when I think of the masculine um, in its highest expression, I maybe just to give like a little contrast to start, like I feel like we've put so much emphasis on like the mind or the strength of the body, like especially within men, right? Like you had to be strong and like emotionless and maybe have like an intellect, right? And when I think of this like highest expression of the man, it's not the strength of the body and it's not the strength of the mind. It's the strength of the, of the heart and it's their capacity to use their love almost as like their strongest or their highest like weapon of choice in a sense of like holding the space and container to be of service and to protect those that maybe are weaker or in pain or might be suffering or you know might need that that support and their guidance and protection and to really be grounded in that in that space of unconditional love and service to to all and in my i i just kind of recently like within the past year or two have started to dive into this work so it's my understanding that for men or women who want to ground into this expression of the masculine it's important for us to have a strong and balanced nervous system because it's our nervous system that's our first line 
like response to everything in life, right? That then stimulates either a neurological or chemical response that basically dictates our reaction to everything. And when our nervous system isn't balanced, if it's stressed, if it's overactive, we're going to be reactive. And that's where we see the unhealthy expression expression of the masculine really come out. You know, it might be through anger, it might be through force, it might through, be through an abuse of power. And so by grounding and training them that our nervous system to withstand external stimuli, we can then create this really solid container so that we're not reacting and having a reactive experience to everything. And instead we have the strength of presence, which is another quality of that divine masculine that they can bring and provide is just present awareness and being able to like penetrate with that awareness. And so by grounding the nervous system, they then have the opportunity to remain present and respond to life, to people that they're relating to, to give that support through their, the strength of their heart, through the love that they they can give and provide and to be of service, you know, in a higher way. And I think to use their ability to lead and to, you know, they say like with great power comes great responsibility, you know, so using their power to, to protect ultimately instead of what we kind of see is like more like control or like force or like oppression, like more the unhealthy, <laughs> um, immature, I'll say forms of the, of the divine masculine energy. So with everything that you just said, do you think that this also applies to the intermingling with the divine feminine, um, in our relationships as well as just the internal? Like, is this uh, the same process? It's just external and internal variables of it? Yeah, yeah, it totally is. And again, like, so the feminine on the other side is more creative. It's more flowy. I mean, feminine energy is always changing. It's always moving. And so the masculine can create that foundation for the feminine within it, whether it's all within yourself as an individual or whether it's in relationship, to give that security for the feminine to move through all those different cycles that the feminine goes through. So there's the container to feel safe for the feminine to do that. So in relationship, the masculine, and again, if you know, you're a female or a male, it doesn't matter. You could, as a female, decide to show up in the more masculine sense of energy or in certain time periods, you know, hold this space that I'm talking about in a more masculine way for your partner who's a male. It doesn't matter. But the masculine can then show up and create the space for the feminine to move through all of the different emotions that they experience to feel safe to be fully embodied in that femininity and to be expressive of of themselves in that way so i feel like one of the most powerful things 
for people who are looking to hold down the masculine space in relation to others that they can practice to do is just to listen and to listen to, again, to try to cultivate understanding from a more empathetic place of the heart and less of like, oh, I'm going to listen to try to then impose my knowledge or rational thought or reasoning of what like I think you should do to fix this situation or whatever you're experiencing and really just to listen to hold space to understand to be the presence that witness for the feminine because really that's all you know that energy wants is just to be seen and to be heard and to be acknowledged and cherished and loved and to feel safe to again to be all those things and we have all of that inside of ourselves so for me like my practice within my own body is like creating that that structure of the masculine of like my core beliefs and values and my practices that help me maintain that that sense of stability within myself so that when I'm honoring the waves of the different emotions that the feminine brings I know that I can go deeply into those because surrounding that is this container that I've created, that I'm safe. I'm safe to feel. I'm safe to dive deep into the anger or the grief or the sorrow or whatever because I've created this structure of the masculine that surrounds that, that allows me to do that. Well, I'm really resonating with what you're saying. And oddly enough, I almost feel like a tear in my eye for some reason. Um, But I think you articulated that as well as I anticipated and was kind of looking for. Mm. So thank you for sharing that. And uh, before we start wrapping this up, um, is there anything you'd like to tell the listeners? You know, we're, we're entering a space sociopolitically where things are probably going to be getting uh, kind of tense, not to add to those conditions, but we are heading into the election year. California's on fire and there's protests in the streets. What would a big takeaway be for people outside of pursuing Ayurveda, which I do think is something major we can be doing, which is getting a map or model to navigate our internal experiences. But for you, what what would something be that you'd tell people who are concerned with the state of the world and want to do all these practices but don't feel safe or don't feel like there's a future? You know, I hear a lot of people explain, like, what's the point? Or some people who are even saying, like, the world is coming to an end. What would you uh, tell them to navigate that with? I would tell them what I've been telling myself recently. <laughs> we all need it. Because, yeah, I mean, oh my gosh, it's it's hard not to go down that rabbit hole when so much is being revealed to us right now. And so it's actually the new moon tonight, September 17th. We have a new moon in Virgo. And this new moon is reminding me of a few things. One, how interconnected we all are and how ultimately our purpose, which will be expressed in various ways, is to be of service to ourselves and collective and all living things on this earth and this planet. And I feel like part of the reason why we suffer and why there's so much suffering and chaos and disease is because we've forgotten this noble truth that we are ultimately here not only to have an experience as a human and to you know enjoy this life, but to also live for something greater than ourselves and to be a part of something greater than you know just acquiring things for our own benefit and being kind to only the people that we deem like you know 
worthy of our kindness and that we come into contact with, but to really be mindful of like all the ways in which we are showing up in this world and maybe to take time to just like reflect upon um, what you feel called as an individual to do to show up to be of service because it's all going to look different. And generally our purpose, our dharma is aligned with our joy and our desire. So it's like whatever brings you joy, do more of that, which is awesome. So I would say, you know, look at the ways in which you can maybe show up to be of service that you're feeling called to do. There's like a lot of social pressure and guilt and shame and like these like narratives that seem to be forced upon us. So you know, take a step back away from that. And again, go within to see like, what is your heart asking and calling you to do? Because nobody can tell you. And secondly, um, under this new moon of Virgo, Virgo, you know, is about service, but it's an earth sign. So it's about like getting down to earth. So taking these like goals and aspirations because it's like really easy especially right now to get stuck in the overwhelm of like the chaos of everything that's going wrong and to forget that when we allow ourselves to reside in that space of just focusing constantly on everything we don't like and the problems then we're ultimately going to stay stuck there and create more of that and to then shift instead to the solutions and we don't necessarily have to have the answers to those things just yet but just to you know open our mind up to like maybe what we would like to see instead and so Virgo is an opportunity for us to take a more grounded approach to um, this change that that we seek. So maybe just take some time to think about like what you can start to do today to take actions towards those things that you that you seek, that you desire, that you wish to see within the world. Instead of taking all this time to just focus on like everything that's going wrong, right? Just try to reorient and redirect ourselves constantly back to like, okay, yes, this is happening. We need to acknowledge it because this is what we're being shown as to where we need to still do the work. And then we still need to like keep moving in this direction. We can't stay and get stuck here. So I would um, just like leave people with that. Yeah, that's good. I definitely subscribe to the idea that your desires are nature fulfilling itself through you. And we all have a niche in the ecosystem and what your niche is, is what you desire with all the parameters being that you're not addicted or grasping or attaching, but the things you genuinely wish and could fulfill in the world is what nature wants you to be doing. Um, If you silence the mind enough to listen, guidance is always there in this exact moment. And all you have to do is breathe into it and give it the credence and space to express itself. So I think what you're saying actually really mirrors that very well, as well as the idea of focusing on what you want rather than what you don't want. Because if we're going to go back to the idea of the mirror neurons and synchrony with other people, if you're constantly feeding off from the drama of the world, you internalize that and your nervous system gets really shaky. So you become 10% more scared or 10% more anxiety ridden. And that gets communicated to the people that you're around since we're all co-creating the space of our society together. And what I think it's going to take is warriorship, which is people who are able to look at the suffering of the world, tear their heart open and love everything unconditionally. That is what being a warrior is. It's not fighting with swords. It's loving and being vulnerable with what's happening and showing up with love, even though it's really easy to show up with fear and anger and pain. But to maintain your own integrity, uh, I think that's how we get the ship to the other side. Mm-hmm. So, yes. So thank you so much for um, 
sharing the space with me. Would you like to let listeners know where they can maybe find you? Yeah. They can find me on Instagram at paramdev underscore car. So that's P-A-R-A-M-D-E-V underscore car, K-A-U-R. Or my website, www.paramdev-quar.com. Or on Facebook, same thing. You can just search that on there. <laughs> One more time, uh, the Ayurvedic cleanse starts when? And um, what's the last day you can sign up for that? End of sign up will be the day before. So it starts Monday, October 5th. So sign up will end on Sunday on the 4th, right before that. So listeners, if you'd like to work with Samantha and step up in the next level of embodiment, this is a wonderful opportunity lines up with the seasons so for me it represents connecting to the season or the place which adds that element of internal and external uh, harmony so they're doing the same thing and if you're ready to step up and do that work uh, this is a wonderful opportunity so um yeah this is where we're all we're at all of our links will be available in the episode description so give her a look will you so samantha thank you so much for joining us it's been a pleasure and we will see you soon mm, yeah thank you so much All right, friends, that was the end of the show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, All of Samantha's details can be found in the episode description, so I really implore you to give her a a look-see. She's got a lot of of different tools to help you get to where you want to go. Thank you. Yeah, that was the end of episode two. Um, Since you listened to the end, I figure I'll give you a little sneak peek into next week's episode. We're sitting down with Nicholas Bolton, who is a trauma-informed community health advisor who is uh, versed in somatic experiencing bodywork. He's a very fascinating human. He's actually the person that got me uh, into doing bodywork. So um, look forward to that next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will see you next week. Have a good week.